The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm retired from medical practice, but I'm still working in healthcare, helping family caregivers. I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right now, right across the world. So, who are family caregivers? Well, they are the people who go on providing care to family members when all the professional caregivers, like I used to be, have actually gone home. Family caregivers are the people that the healthcare systems of so many countries rely on more and more. And if it isn't already obvious, here I make a confession. I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our episode today is Seniors as Family Caregivers. What we're actually going to talk about is what seems to be a huge contradiction. Governments see aging seniors as expensive burdens ready to break the healthcare system. But the generation of seniors is getting more and more active, effective, and influential. So is one resolution to this contradiction for seniors to become more involved in family caregiving? To discuss that are my two guests for today, David Kravitz and Brent Green. They're both writers, analysts, and senior executives. They share a special interest in the marketplace occupied by the generation of seniors, increasingly referred to as boomers. Welcome to the show, David and Brent. Thank you. Now, I'd like to start with David um, and say something about his background. Um, He's vice president of Zuma Media Limited. He's over 30 years' experience in advertising, marketing, and consulting in Canada and the U.S. He joined Zuma Media in 2005. Prior to that, he was a partner in Safa, Kravitz, and Friedman Advertising, which he helped take from startup to over $150 million in annual billings. The firm was recognized as the leading retail specialist agency in North America. After selling his interest in the firm, he worked as an independent consultant and also as a consultant to other advertising agencies in Canada and the U.S. His book, The New Old, published in October 2008, details how Zoomers, led by baby boomers, are reinventing the process of aging with major implications for companies, governments, and society as a whole. Brent Green. Brent, a marketing communications strategist, creative director, copywriter, author, speaker, trainer, and consultant, 
focused on general generational marketing. His firm, Brent Green and Associates, Inc. of Denver, Colorado, was established in 1986. It develops integrated marketing communication programs for direct response media, integrated sales promotion, marketing public relations, and senior executive training. He authored the book, Marketing to Leading Edge Baby Boomers. His next book, due out soon, Generation Reinvention, examines how boomers are changing business, marketing, aging, and the future. Also, he was primary caregiver for his parents during their final years. So drawing on his caregiving experience and knowledge of the boomer generation, he's become a popular speaker in the hospice and home care, home health care world. Now, I'd like to start with a question to David. When we talk about seniors, David, who exactly are they? Well, in Canada, the definition of seniors uh, starts at age 65. Um, the uh, youngest baby boomer is about 45. And um, so the oldest baby boomer is 65, 66, depending on what country and whose demography you look at. So the boomers are just just turning seniors in that they're 65 and they're eligible for old age security. We've defined Zoomer with a Z as being the youngest boomer age 45 all the way up to the end of life. So we've encompassed all the baby boomers and all the seniors. But for convenience, uh, you could think of baby boomers as 45 to 65 or approximately, and then seniors as 65 plus. And I think, Brent, that in the U.S. it's not too dissimilar. Brent, uh, let me ask you, what, what's your take on these definitions? Well, I agree fully with David. Actually, his uh, his uh, demographic definitions are right on and typically what marketers embrace. We can distinguish, and to a certain extent, Zoomers is doing that, between uh, demographic generation and a cultural generation because I often think of boomers as uh, people who got involved in the social activism of the 60s and 70s, and a lot of that thought leadership was provided by people born between 1940 and 1945, even as uh, early as 1938, because those were the classified as the silent generation, which technically are those born between 1925 and 1945. Uh, but they provided a lot of the thought leadership, and because they're just a notch ahead of the boomers, they are, in fact, taking the social revolutions that brought us feminism and racial equality in our institutions and governments and so forth, and, and are actually moving the ball forward already in terms of our thinking about uh, aging and uh, the future of aging. So you can think of a demographic generation in 1946 to 1964. It defines the boomers and zoomers in the technical sense. And then uh, you can think of a cultural generation, and I think you get into a wider swath of individuals. Uh, it's interesting, that because there's a little bit of an overlap in what I'm going to ask David next. That is... Although you said seniors are the people who start at the age of 65, the fact is that they, too, are becoming increasingly active, effective, and influential, aren't they? Well, so, they are. Yes, they are. Yeah. So what, what do you say about, what do we know about seniors and the way you define them in that activity role? Well, I think it's important to circle back to a point Brent just made, is that if I'm 10 years old when World War II uh, ends. I'm 75 years old today, 
So I'm not, I'm, I'm too young to be the father of the baby boomers. I didn't give birth to any kids born in 1945 if I was only 10 or 11. But I was the late 20s, young 30s uh, professor leading the sit-ins at Berkeley uh, mm-hmm. in 1968. Um, and now I'm 75. So does that mean really I'm an old fuddy that you know? I was, as Brent points out, the thought leader that the boomers looked up to because I was only 5, 10 years older than them. I wasn't of that next generation. And those people are the people that you see today uh, in the United States um, who are primarily opposed to the uh, uh, health care reforms, uh, the new health care legislation. I don't want to get into that legislation, but to the extent that there is opposition to it, a lot of it's coming from the quote-unquote seniors. They're realizing that they have a lot of clout in the marketplace and at the ballot box. They account for six out of ten votes cast in elections in both the U.S. and Canada, the most recent elections. Um, and I think when they, they, they're starting to realize that they don't have to passively accept um, things that they don't like in the health care system or indeed in any other system, so they are a little bit more, uh, well, actually a lot more aggressive in going after the, the objectives that they're, they're after, either individually or as a group. Right. Brent, I'm just going to segue into the health challenges faced by seniors because the fact is that as people get older they and as they age health challenges do face them what do we know about those health challenges well again focusing on the boomer generation or those thereabouts uh, we do know that first of all as we age we of course get uh, more and more exposure to chronic diseases but um, the term I use, this is a very bifurcated generation. You've got a percentage of people that are looking at vitality and healthy aging as a priority in their lives. But fully half of the Americans aged 55 to 64, the leading edge of the baby boomers, have high blood pressure. And of those, 40, and not of those, but additionally, 40% are obese. And we do know, of course, uh, a medical doctor, you can speak to that much more authoritatively, uh, chronic conditions such as high blood pressure and obesity are precursors to many other medical problems that lead to uh, greater cost and greater need for health care and aging. Right. David, what we've just heard creates this next question. Well, then, how are they channeling these boomers, their lives, as... (coughs) if you like, the inevitabilities of age, that's a sad way of putting it, and the <coughs> health conditions, health challenges creep up on them. How are they channeling? <coughs> Excuse me for one second. Okay, David, do you need a bit more time? Brent, I'm going to uh, ask I'm you. sorry, maybe you could punt that to Brent for one second. I'm going second. to, yes. Channel, how do they channel their lives, uh, Brent? Uh, and sort of what... <coughs> What would you see as their sort of response to this question? Well, you're getting older, therefore illness is awaiting you. Uh, Well, again, you cannot look at the boomer generation or the zoomer generation as a a unified entity. (laughs) You actually are talking about 76 million individuals. Um, And so there's very many different expressions of the way they're channeling their lives and activities. Again, there is a significant percentage, 38%, that treat their fitness and health and their vitality as a priority in their lives, according to uh, research done by Yankelovich. And these are the people that are changing our images of aging, uh, and, you know, people be- being very vital, engaged, and uh, 
involved in uh, experiencing the next life stage. We have another, uh, another group that are already succumbing to chronic illnesses. And, the, and I think the wake-up call for any of your listeners is when they go to their 40th or 50th high school, uh, high school reunion, and the difference between those that have taken care of themselves, obviously, and those have not, you can see a, a 20-year span in the way people actually look physically. Now, I'm going to ask, ask you, Brent. I'm, I'm okay again. Sorry You're okay. About that. David, I'll carry on with you after the break because I've got, just got a quickie for Brent. Uh, seniors are often warned that if they don't use it, they'll lose it in 30 seconds or less. What's the truth to that? I think there's so much evidence to that effect that it's almost, uh, you know, undeniable that uh, many boomers in my reference group are involved in fitness as a priority, and they are involved in uh, taking uh, programs like Zumba, a dancing program, or P90X, a weightlifting program. And those that uh, engage in that kind of uh, focus on physical activity and healthy living clearly look as much as uh, 10 to 15 years younger than their chronological age, which David so well identifies in his book, uh, comparing Whistler's mother with his own, with his own mother, um, the difference in how young people look today, uh, younger old people look today, if you will, than compared to how they did uh, 50 years ago. And using it is part of our philosophy today, where we don't let go of the reins and just say, okay, well, I'm aging, I can't do anything about it, I give up. Right. That is not the way we're moving forward. Great. Now, it is time for us to take a short break. This is Dr. Gordon Avery, and my guests are Dr. David, are David Kravitz and Brent Green. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're definitely back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Tonight and our two guests, David Kravitz and Brent Green. Our topic is seniors and family caregivers. Let's now talk about boomers' involvement in family caregiving, whether as family caregivers themselves or as receivers of family caregiving. Uh, and let me start with David. How involved are boomers in family caregiving? What do they do when they're involved? And who are the people they provide care to? Is it their parents? Is it their siblings? Is it their children? Who is it to? David? 
Okay, well, the, the classic, there's been some actual uh, research done on this in uh, Canada by the government, and the classic definition of uh, family caregiver is someone who provides 15 or 20 hours of week of care to a chronically ill or physically, physically disabled loved one. I think it's important to point out that this represents about 80% of all home care, the other 20% being by professionals, nurses, uh, uh, you know, visiting, visiting professionals. And in Canada, the value of that uh, home care, if you had to buy it in the marketplace, would be over $200 billion a year. And I know that in the United States, the uh, uh, ratios are about the same. What they do, 83% emotional support, 55% transportation. These overlap because they do more than one thing. Transportation, about almost 40, almost 4 out of 10, provide guardianship, legal, financial, bill-paying, uh, trusteeship. Uh, about a third provide help with activities of daily living, dressing, feeding, um, lifting in and out of bed, uh, cooking, and about 30 participate in health care, and that would typically be making sure that meds are administered, uh, possibly uh, supervising uh, exercises and so on. So they're very involved with it, and the classic boomer is a sandwich generation boomer uh, taking care of a parent. Uh, so a 55, 50-ish person with a, a parent who might be in their uh, 70s or 80s, and now we're starting to see 60-year-olds. I've talked to, and I'm sure Brent has had the same experience. I know, Brent, from your experience with uh, uh, retirement homes and elder care communities, that they will tell you that their typical customer is a 60-year-old shopping for an 80-plus parent. So they're very involved, and um, that's often the their first shock at seeing what the healthcare system will or will not do to help them, and we can go on to that topic later, but there's a kind of a jolt when they realize how much they're on their own uh, in, in the healthcare systems actually in both countries. Right. Brent, that leads me to ask you about recent events and media stories. What, what's, what sort of stories are they, and what might be the long-term impact on how boomers react to family caregiving? Well, many of the boomer generation's celebrities have uh, recently died, not many, but some significant uh, individuals such as Farrah Fawcett and Patrick Swayze, both of whom had long illnesses that required health care, home health care, as they got nearer to their final days. And, um, you know, we're absorbing that media message out there. I think one of the more profound moments, if you will, in a shift in thinking and a rethinking about the end of life and, and care needed uh, in our final years uh, was demonstrated by, doc, uh, by Dr. Randy Pausch, who was a Carnegie Mellon professor. And if your listeners have not seen his The Last Lecture, I encourage them to view that lecture because it isn't about dying. It's about how we can live the best lives we can live. But he became a metaphor um, with pancreatic cancer, of uh, getting the best out of life in the final days of life. And then in the U.S., uh, I'm sure in Canada, many heard of the uh, controversy around Terry Schiavo, who was in a permanent vegetative state for 15 years and led to, you know, extraordinary political meddling, both by the Congress, the Supreme Court, and the President of the United States in terms of ending her, um, you know, forced feeding, if you will. So those stories teach us that there are alternative paths into the future of health care and elder care, and um, we're going to have to take initiative to make those choices. Uh, we're not a generation, typically, that is 
allowed others to make those choices for us, so we've evoked our, asserted our influence uh, as we've moved through our lives. Right. David, that, that goes now to the challenges for boomers, and I'm going to use that in its very general sense, uh, who become involved in family caregiving. How are the, what are these challenges? How are they worked out? And do you have any examples you can point us to? Yes, I think, the, I think the biggest challenge is the overlap between the purely medical uh, condition and treatment and all the associated things that go along with being a caregiver. Typically what happens actually in, in both countries is that the medical profession uh, delivers a, a verdict and a treatment plan and the appropriate prescriptions and whatnot uh, for the uh, loved one or the recipient of the care. But they don't expect the, the lay person, baby boomer or otherwise, to make that call. So, okay, your mom's got XYZ, here's the medication, here's the treatment, bring her in every so often for a checkup. So the medical profession does its thing, and basically, that's it. And then the rest of the the rest of the deal is all up to the caregiver, and that's where the support systems are very irregular, where information is hard to come by. Um, how do I get relief from this? How do I uh, assist in, in the activities of daily living? What happens if I'm a remote caregiver and then mom falls down? Uh, all of those, it's, it's the associated things rather than the pure medical problem that constitutes the bulk of the stress on the caregiver, and we have not really integrated the two in a, in a systematic way. We've left it up to the, the boomers or the, the seniors, indeed, who are giving care to kind of figure all that out for themselves. And for the first time, we're now seeing some demand for better synthesis and integration, and it plays into what the political systems want anyway because they want to keep these people out of a hospital, out of long-term care institution, which is very expensive, so that the boomers push back and say, well, okay, if, if that's the case, you better do a better job of helping me uh, look after mom with all of the different uh, things that that entails. We're just beginning to see the healthcare system uh, recognize that issue. And then the second issue I know you're going to want to come back to later is care of the caregiver. Who, who looks after the stress levels? There's all kinds of research that shows that the impact on the actual caregiver is very negative to his own or her own health, and who's worrying about that question? Right. Now, I want to go back to Brent and just ask him to say more about the things he was talking about. And, and that, let's put the question in this way. Um, how might boomer aging actually impact the social and cultural context for aging, and what changes can we look for in attitudes and values? Brent? Well, first of all, in terms of U.S. Uh, statistics, in 2003, about 2.3 million people died, and that didn't just include, that uh, was multi-generational, obviously, but leaning toward the GI generation. In 2040, in the U.S., 4.1 million will die. And the increase in volume, as well as the high-profile nature of many of the people that will be dying, is, will certainly change many things. Um, many of the youth icons of the boomer generation and the late silent generation will also die. And I think what we're going to see, uh, that I predict, is going to be a growing disdain for unnecessary and unwanted care. In other words, heroic medicine or technological care. I think we're going to see a lot greater acceptance of the dying process and uh, dying a good death, if you will, in our public discourse. And uh, hopefully, and I do believe 
we have evidence that this will happen, medical doctors and the medical community will engage more and more aggressively in end-of-life counseling and um, health care during this, um, this last stage of life. So I, I believe all those forces will come together that we will have a much more open society when it comes to end-of-life care. David, that flows into this. What about the other members of the family when health or other problems begin to overtake an aging boomer who is also a family caregiver? David? Well, I think that this is a huge issue, and I just want to expand a little bit on what uh, uh, Brent said, because the, the challenge is going to be, I think, definitely the end of the, I agree completely about the attitudes changing to the end of life, but it's that decade before where caregiving is needed and the person is still vital. So, for example, I might have a 75-year-old parent, if I'm 50, who's starting to need caregiving or counseling or help, can't get around the house as much anymore. Maybe we should sell. Maybe we should move into a smaller house. Maybe we should have a bill-paying service or a concierge service. That parent might have 20 more years to go uh, before that end of life or that last stage of decision-making needs to occur. So there's still going to be a big chunk of people who, who are not close to the end-of-life scenario but who need care. That's the first point. The second point I would make really quickly, I think you're going to see that just the way we evolved in our, in our attitude toward illness, we're going to evolve in our attitude toward caregiving. What I mean is that we are now, it's now commonplace for the, especially the boomers, to be thinking about prevention, wellness, diet, nutrition. Granted that huge numbers are obese and have high blood pressure, the, mortality, the, the, uh, the U.S. health uh, industry and some of the government stats in the U.S. attribute a lot of longevity to actually healthier and preventive uh, measures, the anti-smoking campaigns, better diet, and so on. So when it comes to our health, the boomers are very interested in wellness and longevity and what do I need to do to to keep going, now they're going to start to apply the same thing, I think, to caregiving. And they say, I better start thinking about how to handle this when mom and dad get older. And then when I get older, maybe I need a different form of insurance. Maybe I need skills. There's, we're starting to see the beginning of seminars now on how to conduct family meetings, how to involve all the members of the family in the process. Uh, we're experimenting at our company with two or three different websites we're working with that are creating... Uh, Internet-based circles of care for an individual where all the caregivers can log on and swap information and dole out tasks and so on. So I think we're going to see a much more proactive take-charge attitude to what do we do with those 10, 15, and gradually maybe even 20 years uh, before we need to do that end-of-life thing. There's still that big chunk of time, and how do we get that better organized? I think you're going to see the boomers wanting to anticipate that a little bit more and maybe plan for that a little bit more. Okay. Brent? What you were saying is that there's going to be a more austere view, I think, if I understood you rightly, about prolonging life in a way that's considered not a good, good idea. That's one of the influences on family caregiving. Um, what are the others that you would highlight, just quickly, that you, you think are going to influence, for example, the way physicians behave? Okay. Uh, well, you want to talk about synchronicity in our interview today. As I was... Uh, Having my morning coffee, I watch CNN, as I always do, and they have a feature called CNN Heroes. And the hero of the week is a woman by the name of Irene Zola. She's 64 uh, years old. She's on the very leading edge of the boomers. And she's created a nonprofit in uh, the New York City area called Morningside Village 
which is designed to help uh, caregivers give caregiving to their parents in their homes, which, of course, is the preference of all of us and certainly the boomer generation. So in a nutshell, she exemplifies a point I often make, and that is nonprofit entrepreneurship. In other words, the boomers are going to be creating a lot of nonprofits uh, and seniors are going to be participating to address how to make the final life stage the most vibrant and, and beneficial to society stage as possible. And there's plenty of examples of that, which I don't have time to talk about. Oh, I'm going to have to interrupt you there because we right. need to go for the break. Okay. Uh, it is time for us to take this break. This is Dr. Gordon Everly, and my guests are Dr. David Kravitz and Brent Green. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Journey into the realm of spirit, the source of all things. Master fear in these tumultuous times and learn ancient ways to abundant love and healing. Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity, will awaken the unique genius within you. Host Christina Pratt challenges you to initiate your innate powers within to gain health, well-being, and joy through the practices of Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. Tune in each week to Why Shamanism Now, Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, on 7th Wave Network. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at my. M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, David Kravitz and Brent Green. Our topic is seniors as family caregivers. Now, I want to talk about how boomers as family caregivers work with their families, work with the health care system, and work with the support system. So starting with David, what advice should boomers who are thinking of becoming family caregivers ask for, and who should they actually ask for this advice? Well, I think the first thing they need to pin down, and that's the easy part, is what the, what the, medical, uh, what the medical conditions are that uh, they're going to need to deal with and what they can anticipate. But beyond that, I think they need to see this as a team that they need to assemble and there is quite a lot of literature, both online and offline, that would help them um, attack it as a proactive project. So let's look at the different areas. Number one um, is the topic of finances. What shape is the, uh, what's the financial shape of the family, of the extended family, of the boomer, of all the relatives, of the recipient of care? Do you know where all the documents are? Do you know where the wills are? Do you know what bills are being paid and not being paid? Can mom or dad take care of that, or do you need to take it? There's a whole financial area. There's a mobility and activity of daily living area that you need to just assess. Where's the person going to live? 
interesting. You're under your roof, under their roof. It's, it's really a, a kind of a process where you look at the need and work backwards to who's going to fulfill those needs. And the most urgent first step, I think, is a family meeting. Typically, it's the boomer, the parents, and the siblings, or maybe the boomer and the siblings first, and then the parents, to really do it, really, really do an inventory of the whole situation so that the problems don't creep up on you and surprise you. Brent, that goes straight into this question. What advice should the families of boomers who are thinking of becoming family caregivers ask for, and should, who should they ask for this advice? And I guess that goes into the question, if they're all having a family meeting, what are the questions that the families should be asking? Well, I think David did a great job in discussing kind of the triage that needs to happen in a given uh, family, uh, a child of uh, parents who are needing uh, caregiving in home or not. And uh, so I won't repeat that. I think uh, one of the things that we who are facing caregiving for the first time need to do is obviously educate ourselves. And so uh, that support, as David mentioned, is offline and online. I have a very good colleague who's become a professional guardian, which assists families with the uh, certainly the financial aspects of the individual who is needing additional care. Keep in mind that uh, one thing that's unique about the boomer generation is that um, 19% did not have children, at least in the U.S., and so that's going to change things very dramatically. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, people needing caregiving who do not have uh, really uh, close families to provide that. So there's national organizations uh, in the U.S. There's the Family Caregiver Alliance, which is caregiver.org, and then there's the National Alliance of Caregiving, which is caregiving.org. So those are two major organizations. I uh, did some research and found out that Canada next June will have the Festival of International Conferences on Caregiving, Disability, Aging, and Technology, and that will be in Toronto next June. Uh, so there's Right, and that's the second time they've held that. That's the second event. They've repeated that event. There are many different ways that caregivers or prospective caregivers can reach out and educate themselves, and there's many resources and obviously Nobody is born with the knowledge of what it takes to be a caregiver of somebody like a parent, and therefore the, those resources of, the, of education are, are critical. I think that's who needs to come into the room next is the education. Right. David, different track of question now. When do you believe that boomers becoming family caregivers for someone cared for at home may not be the best approach? And in what circumstances would you... Um, recommend against? Well, I think that if you, it, it really depends, <coughs> excuse me, a lot on the um, condition of the, uh, the recipient of care. And I think that uh, we have to segment caregiving, really, where this is going to start anyway as people live longer, into disease driven or end of life driven care and earlier care where there's one or two deficiencies in the problem. For example, there's a lot of people in their 70s who face serious mobility problems that are not life-threatening. People who need a new hip or who have trouble getting around or who are prone to falling, who may be living with a chronic disease or condition, for many years prior to being in a life-ending situation, you know, who's going to look after them? The biggest issue is where do they live and where does the boomer live? And if, this, if the boomer doesn't have time, then I think that you've got, there are professional organizations, there are nursing organizations, there are homemakers, and what we're starting to see, and this is uh, in the for-profit area, certainly here in Canada, and I'm sure in the United States, 
a lot of businesses springing up that will provide home workers, home visitors. It's becoming a, quite a service business now uh, in response to this growing demand of somebody that will come to the home every week or every day even uh, and check out the individual and make sure that everything's okay. Right. Brent, same question. When, when do you believe that boomers becoming family caregivers uh, may not be the best approach? And what the kind of circumstances you'd recommend against it? Well, again, um, I think David has already touched on a number of these things. First of all, if the caregiver, prospective caregiver, has their own chronic illnesses and diminishing health, because uh, as he pointed out, uh, it can have dramatic uh, negative impact on uh, you know their own health if they're trying to caregive. Uh, and again, many boomers, zoomers are in, a, in that sandwich generation where children's demands are as uh, pressing as the demands of their parents, and so. That's, again, where an individual might want to reach out. Again, keep in mind that in the U.S., uh, 19% of boomers have uh, no children, so their own caregiving is uncertain, um, and, only, and 14% only, uh, or 17% only had one child, so roughly 36% have one or zero children. That's going to dramatically change the nature of caregiving, and that's why a lot of nonprofits and for-profits will emerge in the next few years to address uh, Smaller families with a lot of without a lot of oversight capabilities. Yeah. Now that raises again a question about community support systems, and in that I'm obviously including all the things Brent you've just mentioned. David, any suggestions about how boomers who are family caregivers should work with the community support systems? It's a critical question because there are such varying levels of availability. Of support, and there's also uh, a whole list of rather unprofound but very important uh, local conditions and issues. I mean, uh, weather and climate being one of them. If you're living in a place where there's ice and snow and mom can't get around, that's a lot different than if you're living in Florida or Arizona where you don't, uh, where you don't have that. You, using that as an example of something really sort of dumb and basic, but it can, it can affect uh, your life. So I think that the first step is to make sure that you're aware of all of the local resources that there are. In Ontario, we have um, community uh, access care centers, which are supposed to be local branches of the government uh, health department that steers you to all the, the, the correct uh, support services. Um, this is usually available online. Some states in the United States, I know, are starting to organize this, and I think the national... I forget whether it's the Family Caregivers Alliance or the Family Caregiving Alliance is starting to build uh, databases of local uh, help and support. Where do you get food? Who delivers food? Who can come in and mow the lawn? Who can uh, provide respite for the caregiver? Um, it's, a, it's going right back to what we, Brent said in the very first segment. It's an education job, and it is very much a local job because somebody's got to come in if, the, if that boomer or senior can't do it themselves. Uh, so I think it's a combination of online and offline resources, and I would uh, strongly endorse what Brent said about getting involved with one of the caregiver organizations and seeing what data they have. Right. Brent, um, it's the same question, but this time with the healthcare system and its professionals. How should the boomers who are family caregivers work with them? Well, one of the dramatic things that is changing, as you well know, is with the advent of the Internet and, and so forth, is the availability of healthcare information. So I constantly counsel people to become experts in their own situation, you know, with the proviso that they do not 
uh, try to diagnose and treat themselves, but uh, that they learn everything because now there are peer support groups online for almost every kind of disease con- condition you can imagine. Uh, there are, uh, you know, foundations and associations to deal with many of the larger disease uh, situations. So I, I think becoming an expert in your own situation or that of your parent is, is critical uh, so you can ask great questions and you can know alternatives. I'm also a great believer in self-directed health care in the sense of seeking out second opinions and learning alternatives. Uh, sometimes a pronouncement by one medical professional will be overturned by another, uh, suggesting just the opposite direction. So you can't assume that one source gives all the advice you need. And then look at the dramatically changing um, philanthropic landscape. In Colorado, we, we have an initiative called Boomers Leading Change in Healthcare, which is funded by the Atlantic Philanthropies and is a model uh, program to develop educational uh, awareness for boomers around the healthcare system. Uh, and that didn't exist uh, six months ago. So things are changing very quickly because of the growth of the senior population. Now, I've got a very quick question for both of you. It's the same question. Um, I was in a debate the other night about advanced directives, living wills. One person said, great idea. The other person said, no, not a great idea. Uh, David, first, what do you think? Of a living, about, wi- of a living yeah, will? Yeah. Good or bad? I don't know why it would be bad. Right. Uh, I, 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 I mean, obviously, uh, any individual's particular living will might open up all kinds of problems, but I don't know why the idea would be bad. I think the more uh, the person specifies uh, what they want to happen, uh, uh, the easier it would be on everybody else. Brent, what, what's your reaction to living will and the like? Well, first of all, I concur with David. I would like to also point out that the boomer generation, if you have to characterize the generation, is noted for being a bit anti-authoritarian and focused on self-empowerment and self-development. It isn't a question of whether this is good or bad. I can guarantee you the boomer generation, as a generality, will take hold of living wills because they will want to be in control of the end of their lives and how they're to be taken care of when they're incapacitated. It's something that is a given. So whoever uh, poses to it or dislikes it uh, might as well get used to the fact that a large percentage of the aging generation is going to say, I'm in control of the rest of my life, uh, get out of my way. Yeah. yeah. Right, absolutely. Okay, now I'm going to just wind up with, as we go into the break, with just one observation, and that is that through this show, I've learned um, and really heard and met various people who've been through a journey of the kind we're talking about, looking after children with life-threatening, incurable illnesses or seniors slipping off into dementia. And then when the particular journey is at the end, the people who've been providing the care set up their own websites, create their own nonprofits, and move into the whole business. And it's a good business of affecting others. And I think that's something that we may want to come back to um, in the next sector. So I'm going to go into the break now because it's that time of the show. And this is Dr. Gordon Adley and my guests are David Kravitz and Brent Green. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Voice America Network proudly presents The Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. Tune into a program that's all about empowerment and human potential. It's all about navigating your life. In fact, that is the name of the program. Tune in every Monday morning for the Navigating Your Life Show with host Dr. Nathaniel J. Williams. Each week we'll discuss a range of topics to help you with the challenges facing us every day. The information given can be implemented immediately and may change your life forever. The Navigating Your Life Show is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Well, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc. Letter G at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, David Kravitz and Brent Green. Our topic is Seniors of Family Caregivers. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Let's suppose you two as individuals are seeking election to government to oversee the development of the role of boomers in family caregiving. And so what I'd like us to talk about and hear from you are the things that you would have in your political platform that you would propose and why would you propose them. So let's start with David. What's your political platform? Well, I would have about four items. (laughs) Um, The first would be a a really simple one of of, uh, identifying caregiving as a um, priority um, because very often people, it sort of creeps up on people. You know, there isn't the abruptness of uh, all of a sudden I went to the doctor and they diagnosed me with XYZ and I go online and I now I'm a patient of XYZ. And caregiving is sort of a gradual thing. So I, I would make that uh, a priority. I would institute tax credits for people who are taking care of um, loved ones, even if it's not under their same roof. In Canada, you can get tax credits if they're living under your roof, but harder to get a tax credit if you're not. I would have dramatically expanded tax credits uh, for caregivers. I would have a centralized database of information so that caregivers could get the education uh, that they need. I would have a tax credit for taking courses that that would familiarize yourself with how to be a caregiver. And a a thing we haven't talked about that um, I think is important is I would expand the uh, tax credits for research into uh, aging in place, aging at home. I note that GE has come out with an announcement that they want to bring to the market, I think it is 30 products or something in the next 10 years that Correct. would enable people to live at home and reduce the impact on the uh, hospital system. So I would encourage that with tax credits and make sure that the, the availability of those products and knowledge about what those products are uh, is, is much more widespread. 
Um, so I would use a, a combination of education and financial incentives to raise the knowledge level and raise the skill level of the caregiving population. Thank you, David. We'll come back to you with questions in a moment. Brent, your platform, please. Well, first of all, I just voted for David. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I would like to point out, too, that uh, in my next book, I have a chapter on David's phenomenal organization uh, in Canada, as well as he was just touching on it, the GE Health Imagination Initiative. And if my statistics uh, are correct, they're going to invest uh, about $6 billion over six years to solve 100 health care questions to both improve the quality of diagnostics and care and also reduce the cost of health care. So it's a, it's a bold initiative and, and very uh, exemplary of a private company uh, taking the lead to make change. So anyway, in addition to what David suggested, which I fully agree with, uh, in the United States we have uh, a program under Medicaid that allows people is, uh, apart from the, the person needing caregiving as a neighbor or a friend or certainly a family member to read, uh, receive compensation through the uh, Medicaid program to provide non-medical in-home care. Well, you know, with our concerns and budgets in the United States, there's, that is always under threat, and I would certainly focus our uh, political leaders on the importance of expanding that program uh, to provide in-home care, non-medical care, by uh, people that are close to the person needing the caregiving. Secondly, um, nothing. Uh, there's no substitute for integrating caregiving communities through online social networks. Um, the more we talk to each other, the more we learn about how to get things done. Um, I was a delegate from the United States to the White House Conference on Aging in 2005, and um, unfortunately, our president at that particular time didn't even bother to come to the White House Conference on Aging, which was after 100,000 people had made efforts to try to develop and design uh, a plan for the future, that was not a good showing. So I would certainly engage our, the highest levels are of our political echelons in the importance of bringing their centers of influence around caregiving and the absolute need for improving the capabilities and the resources available to caregivers. Um, and then I would do what we're doing here in Colorado, uh, which is uh, we have an initiative called Silverprint Colorado, which is uh, led by, uh, you know, it's a nonprofit led by many different individuals of all different professional walks of life, but to influence the political leaders, such as the governor of Colorado, the mayor of Denver, which we successfully have done, in, in seeing the value of um, the importance of aging and the opportunity of aging, but also the responsibilities of a society to its aging population. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you a slightly technical question to both of you about your platforms, and it's this, that in healthcare, as I'm sure you, you both very well know, there's greater and greater emphasis on what are called clinical practice guidelines. And basically, these are recipes that are agreed by doctors and others as the best way to deal with a particular condition. And more and more, the expectation is of doctors that you will follow the guideline, the recipe, in the way you deal with particular types of diseases and particular situations. Now, you both talked about education for family caregivers. Do you see any op opportunity or role for some kind of guideline? I, I won't use the word recipe uh, to kind of lower its status, but some kind of family care guideline for family caregivers 
who find themselves, perhaps for the first time, in being family caregivers in complex situations, perhaps where the outlook isn't very good. What do you think? Is there a role for such things? Um, let, let me jump in. I think, there's, I think there is definitely a role for it, but I think that the, the main thing is to provide uh, checklists or questions that should be resolved in order to have a complete situation rather than necessarily prescribe the exact answer. And I'm speaking here mainly about the non-medical sides of caregiving, the financial means of the recipient of care, for example. A dad may be a wealthy man with a complex stock portfolio that he can no longer manage. There may be a big home that has a lot of bills that need paying. There may be a, a poorer family. So to, to, to project a certain outcome or a certain absolute uh, you know, way of dealing with it, I think it's more familiarizing the caregiver. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? You know, to check it all off. Even, even things as basic as home safety. Um, we've, we've done tests in our organization where we, we present a simple checklist of walks through the home and identify the pitfalls, and people are just astonished at what's right in front of their eyes that they didn't even realize. So some of it's not, not all that profound. I think where the guidelines come in, though, on the medical side is very important, and particularly as you reach the, the end-of-life scenario, you know, where there's transitions into either a nursing home or a palliative center or, uh, or, or, or institutions like that. But earlier on, the, the individual situations are so varied that I would think you would, you would do better to just um, give a, a, almost like a topic list. Have you thought, have you dealt with this, have you dealt with this, have you dealt with it? Oh, gosh, I didn't think of that. I think that would be the first uh, step to go to do. Good. Brent, what do you think? Well, again, I agree with David because uh, individual situations are always too complex and nuanced <clears throat> to be able to say this is exactly your problem and this is exactly the situation and do that impersonally. Um, I'm thinking of the decision uh, software solutions. If you have a problem with your computer and Microsoft wants to walk you through uh, various levels of a problem and you answer how you answer certain questions leads to other parts of the decision model so that at the end you're offered uh, several alternatives as to exactly what you might do and then in this case resources for more information and um, you know under extreme situations that are relatively black and white uh, admonishments to uh, to meet with a qualified health care provider rather than to try to figure this out yourself. So I think we could actually build online decision models that would take into uh, you know a large swath of possible scenarios and give people uh, closer options to what they should consider given their individual situation. What I one of the things I take from what you're both saying is the idea of the checklist. Um, that is questions. Um, you should answer, and when you've answered them, they may lead you electronically or otherwise to the sort of recommendations that um, would be helpful to somebody confronted with the particular issue. Is that a fair summary of at least one aspect of the idea of the guideline that you both support? David? Yes, I think it is. Yes, I do too. Yep. You'd live with that. I can live with that. I think, again, if you think about when you need help with software, the people that take you through the process of solving the problem have a, you know, an effective decision interface. In other words, if you answer yes to this, it goes one direction. If you answer no, it goes a different. And I think we can build those models uh, and solve many of the problems, not all of them, but many of the problems through a query process. Right. Now, I'm just going to respond to you both by saying 
Um, if I were in the U.S., uh, Brent, I would vote for you. And David, because I am in the same city as you are, I will vote for you. Well, thank you. Okay. So consider yourselves elected. Now, I also want to say to our listeners that there is a mechanism, a procedure for getting in touch with our guests with questions or queries, you know, about some of the things they mentioned, some of the points they've made. So I would please e- encourage you to email us with your comments and questions. Uh, they'll come through to me, and I'll gladly pass them along to our two guests. Um, thank you to you, our listeners, for um, being with us. We hope it, we've been helpful to you. And I want to say thank you to our two guests, David Kravitz and Brent Green, for sharing with us their insights, their experience, their advice, and also their perceptions of the way things are going. And one thing they didn't say, I don't think, is that seniors are, are one of the major voting groups in our modern societies. Younger people tend not to vote. So that's another reason why they would get the vote, I think, for what they're talking about. So I want now to uh, just point to our next episode, um, which is going in a slightly different direction, and that is we're looking at the role of dog guides for work with family caregivers and the particular episode next week is dog guides to do your deal with situations where people or children have seizures so we would very much like to welcome you to that discussion too but meanwhile i want to wish david and brent every success in the work they're doing because they really are both of them on a leading edge so thank you both thank you much. thanks for having me. thanks a lot we appreciate Take care, the opportunity. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.